When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, where we put the business back in lady business. Hosted by Jennifer Justice, founder and CEO of the Justice Department, a management strategy and law firm that works with female and woke male entrepreneurs, executives, talent, brands, and creatives to build and maximize their wealth, focusing in the areas of tech, consumer product, finance, media, entertainment, and fashion. Jennifer interviews entrepreneurial women who have done it all, who will be sharing their secrets on all things business, especially as a woman. These highly successful women will share strategies and insights, including what not to do and what it takes to win. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Justice. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business, where we're putting the business back into the lady business. Today, we have the very special Kelly Catrone. She's already okay. laughing. She's the founder and CEO of People's Revolution. Um, I think everyone here knows her. And now we get to hear from her in person and live, unedited, unabridged. Yeah, raw, raw. Hi, vegan, Kelly. Vegan raw. That's raw. What's up, Jennifer Justice? Love and respect. How excited are you? To see you today. I'm I very know. Well. I'm excited to see you too. I'm excited to see you on this uh, video screen. So for the two people who do not know who you are, why don't we go and uh, you can explain who you are and what you do. Well, my name is Kelly Catrone and I'm the CEO, Chief Euphoria Officer no, <laughs> um, of People's Revolution. And it's a, a branding and communications and development firm. We work a little different than most PR companies in the sense that we really start at the beginning of the brand and then we like to infuse it with story and um, design. And we help people tell their stories and we help them slightly rebuild the story before we put it out onto the street. So I do that. And then I was on TV for 10 years. Um, I was on a bunch of shows, The City, The Hills. I was a judge on Top Model for five years or 18 to 22. And then I wrote a couple, I wrote a New York Times bestselling book called If You Have to Cry, Go Outside and Other Things Your Mother Never (laughs) Told You. Um, But most importantly, I'm just a girl from the middle of nowhere, stuck in a really big, badass world and um, have gone a little further down the line. So love to talk to younger women or women in general um, about what's going on and trying to keep it real um, so people don't think that they're failing. You know, I think that so many people have these stories and like these Instagrams, like I'm in Capri and like, you know, all this stuff. And then people are like, fuck me. I can't even like make my payroll this week, you know? So I'm kind of that person. I'm like the kind of Wednesday Adams of uh, optimism, if you will. The Wednesday Adams of optimism, meaning like you, you keep it real. It's not like all Instagram and, and yeah. stars and all this. I mean, you've been on, you were on TV for 10 years and you wrote a best-selling book, you know? Two. Two. The only problem is the second best-selling book came out after the day after Osama bin Laden was killed. So that was kind of bad. To try to get attention. And then three days later, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, came out and said that he had a child with his maid. So yeah. 
not the best time to release a book. Well, if anybody understands press and headlines, it's you, right? Way to get them. I knew I was fucked as soon as Osama bin Laden got killed. <laughs> I couldn't have anticipated I was going to be like doubly fucked when Arnold Schwarzenegger stepped out. And also that was when Dominique Strauss-Kahn was accused of raping that maid, remember? Yes. That was all the same week, if you all want to know. Uh-huh, that's a big press week. Um, so let's go back a little bit about what, like your storytelling and what you do. Like, what does that mean exactly for people who are listening and would potentially want to hire you? Oh, well, I don't know. I don't know if this podcast is going to make anybody want to hire me. But what I do, I think my mom's um, hairdresser sums it up the best. Like, they make the product and we make them. So we find a way we work really closely with brands to look at who their competitors are in the space and also hear about the developers or the creator's vision of where they want to go. We're kind of like Sherpas. And so, oh, okay, you want to go to the Himalayas. Okay, this is what we're going to need. And it always comes back to two things, in my opinion, which is the story and the product, right? There's a lot of people who have great stories and the product's kind of like, ah, and then you go, you wait online, they're going to do a drop, you get it. And you're like, whoa, what what was this? Like, what was I doing waiting for this? It's shit. Whereas another time you either stumble into something or you find something that does have a buzz or doesn't, but the product is really great, then you go back to it, right? So we take the development of the product and we really look at that very, very closely and honestly, where a lot of PR agencies would be like, oh, this is so great. And then they'll hold your collection or they'll hold your goods for six months and then they'll come back to you and they'll be like, you know, it didn't do so well at the press. And, you know, they're just collecting their retainer. We don't we like to make sure that 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 brand that we're working with it has the components that it needs to get to where the founders or the owners want it to go and that takes a very long time to be able to have that type of confidence and that sense of leadership in your own voice as an owner you know to to let people know so yeah so we get into the brand and we really look at it and then we hyper engineer it with the things that we know it's going to need to the best of the ability of the client finances vision right. creativity to kind of conjure and create that up into what it needs to be to get to where it wants to go and then we build that way and then we attach the story to it and the story usually comes down to the authentic moment that this person decided to do that. Like, why did you make this brand, Jeremy Scott? Like, what is it about? How are Vivian Westwood? Like, you know, where did this all start? Like with Vivian, somebody who I worked with for like 13, 15 years, you know, I mean, her whole thing is about activism. It's always been about freedom of expression and activism. And then she kind of tells that story through the lens of pirates and wenches. You know, so once you understand that, you know, this is really the heartbeat of that brand, then it's very easy to think about, well, what press is going to be right for that ID, British Vogue, Italian Vogue, Vogue, yeah. Um, What celebrities are going to be right for that? Like back in the day, Rose McGowan versus more like a Natalie Portman who might be more classic, you know, or someone a little edgier and who's going to be able to take that boy George, Sex Pistols, blah, blah, blah. You know, what are the different activation points and how are we going to bring attention? And also, you know, it's really important to that the brands need to understand just because something's trending doesn't mean they have to do that. Like with Vivian, you know, she stays really on point. Yeah. And then every five or seven years, it's like corsets are in or pirate boots are in or... Uh, wallpaper. This actually is Vivian Westwood wallpaper behind me. Gorgeous. Wallpaper print, very nice. Yes, you know, wallpaper print T-shirts, whatever. So she has those components like within her own brand. So she'll catch a, a trend wave every two or three years, and that's cool for a brand like her. It's actually a very small company, 
you know, whereas a company right, like yeah. has to kind of go about things in a different way or Valentino, you know, like they've hired me in the past to like make things cool, but they, they want to be cool, but only so cool. They don't yeah. want to be like raver ketamine cool. <laughs> raver ketamine. <laughs> they want to be like raver ketamine cool. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right. Got it. Important okay. to have an understanding or an overstanding as the Rastas would say about where things are headed and how we're going to get there. So we drive a very practical uh, ship, which looks at all sections of the business, production, distribution, design, marketing, PR, sales, and then extras. And and really, ha- how do we work together as a team um, to get that ball all the way down the line? Right, right. And then and out into the world with an actual world. story so people can relate to the authenticity of it. Right. And um, then when they go there, then they can buy it and they have a good shopping experience. And then the product is cool. Then they go and they tell their friends about it, right? Right. And it builds a lot more brand loyalty. Yeah. Correct. And the power of the girl. Well, you have been doing this for a long time, way before a lot of people were thinking about this brand and authenticity. And, uh, you know, I think more and more people talk about it now, in particular, you know, starting their own businesses around it, et cetera. Like in your whole, you know, trajectory, like a whole your career, you know, how much has that, that changed toward it? I mean, you've been doing it since the beginning. Do you feel like it's it's more toward that or it's like going away? I think everything's the same. It's just a little different. Like there used to be two or three outposts that you really had to have locked and loaded, right? Yeah. Like Conway Nast, Barney's, like Fred Siegel, Maxfields, like the right retailers nationally as well as internationally for the coolest brands. So like Colette or Maria Luisa and, um, in Italy, you know, uh, Corsicomo DHA, you know, different. You want to have those outposts from Paris, Milan, you know, London, Hong Kong, Singapore, Seoul, Korea, you know, you want to be in those places. Um, I think the game is still the same. It's just a little different because you have to decide exactly who you're going to be like TikTok, (laughs) you know, like I'm not really into it for brands. I think it's not so great. And I don't really, I mean, it's one thing if you're selling M&Ms or Kit Kat bar, sure. Yeah. like two, four thousand, five thousand dollar dresses or coats. Like, do I really think it's funny that like some girl in Idaho is going to do a dance in this coat? And I do we really believe that the people who are watching this are going to all go by this coat? Right. I think at a certain point, it's gotten fashion used to be very controlled. It, it wouldn't deal with the world at all. You know, private the fashion shows are a private event. They only sold to certain stores. They were super exclusive. Right. And then all of a sudden they everybody was accused of like, hey, you're all too exclusive. And there's a new crowd, like all different kinds of people, all different kinds of people that came to, let's say, the White House of Fashion and demanded to be heard. And then the fashion industry was like, oh, my God, what? Whoa, whoa, what? Oh, okay. well, we're so sorry. Like, we're going to fix this for everybody. But in doing so, some of the some of the stuff has just become like. There's a whole lot of people in this field right now, whereas before there weren't enough. So it's it really hasn't hit back to the middle of like, just because you have a voice doesn't mean you're important in fashion. Right. Doesn't, you know, just because you have great design doesn't mean your voice is going to be heard. You know, um, just because you think you're a model doesn't mean I have to think that you're a model. And it doesn't mean that these other brands have to think you're a model. These are all privately held businesses, you know? And so... 
What's different today for the big brands is nothing. They've been prepared for this. They've made it through several wars. You know, they were involved with all different types of people in Europe throughout those periods of time. So they're locked and stocked and they have a ton of cash. Right. And COVID, it's a blip for them. Whereas a lot of the brands that I work with, it wasn't a blip. It was Northridge, earthquake, you know, they're down. Like a lot of fashion people are down. They're, they're avalanche. We don't even hear them. So they're all down, right? And then we have these new little birds who are like, well, it was, you know, during COVID and I had a baby and I didn't really realize that, you know, breast pumps were like shit. So I, my husband's an engineer and we created this new, okay, so now you have this influx, like a Shark Tank audition line, right? All these people. But then a lot of great American brands are in crisis. I mean, with the exception of sneakers. Right. It's really hard, you know, to be a young up and coming brand, whether you're making yogurt or chips or ganja or fashion. It's like how, you know, I'm working with a company right now, which is a female owned brand out of Jakarta. These young women, they're super cool, you know, and it's like, I'm going to be doing a photo shoot for them. And, you know, that the budget can't go over $25,000. So how do I create a campaign that can get noticed alongside like a Cartier campaign right, or a Loewe campaign or, but, you know, that's what they expect us to do. Right. You know? So you're basically saying it's like now there's like so much noise. It's like, how do you get through all of this noise now? And who's real and who's not? Like a lot right. of people like, I mean, they're being heard and like people are, oh, okay, you're a designer. Like, well, really? Do you sell anywhere? <laughs> like, you know, it's like there's a lot of people on the front lines that are trying to come in and, and try to make something happen. But the point is, is like the business in the United States has been shattered by what happened. And yeah. a lot of it was due to, you know, dependence on international production. So blockchain transparency right now and just being able to get anything to market, like it's not enough to get it to market. Like, okay, great. Nordstrom's bought your t-shirts. Now what? Yeah. Nordstrom has like less staff like everybody else. There's so many brands that are on that floor. They're in real estate deals with them. And you've got what? Six or eight bras or six or eight silhouettes. And, you know, you're just going to sit on a floor. How's your sell through going to happen if no one's going to these stores? Right. So this is where you come in. You're talking about you have to have that authenticity and you have to have that story. And it's got to resonate with somebody more than just like, I need a t-shirt. Yeah. And it has to not only resonate, but they have to come get the t-shirt and then they have to come back and get it again. Because that first time that you sell them something, you have to subtract about $32, right? From the sale, because that's what you're cost of acquisition is going to be to get that customer, especially if you're doing it digitally. Right. Right. So if yeah. it'll come back, you might as well just give them the shirt. <laughs> so true. Right. You know, I mean, think yeah. about it. It's crazy. Yeah, it's there. Give it away. Hope it's that you buy the second one. Yeah. You know, I have some friends, they just sold to the container store, their brand Levant collective. And I told them, you know, what everybody should be doing is saying, like, please don't buy it on our website, even though you're going to make less on your margins, because yeah. there's less on your margins from wholesale than yeah. the consumer. But you're in the container store. I, I hope there's like 10,000 people that are lined up to go into these different shops to push that sell through. Right. You know, it's a whole system. It's not enough. Like Michelle Gobert, the great music uh, guy in the fashion world, once told me you can't take glory to the bank. You know, there's so many people, you know, that are very well known that seem very, very successful that don't have a good PL. Yeah, very true. 
that is true. I mean, that's one of the biggest things is like, in particular, like female founded companies, it's like everyone feels like they should be bigger and better. And they don't understand that everybody is struggling, you know, it's not like this big in the end, you know, look, bigger uh, revenues, bigger problems, bigger expenses, you know, lifestyle, all of it. Yeah. So it's like, it's all about the business. Like people don't really like to talk about, you know, the business in the back end. For me, my biggest mistakes, which we should probably talk about because. (laughs) What are they? We're going to go right into them. Sure. Um, No, but like my biggest mistakes in business is people think I'm a great businesswoman. I'm actually not. Right. You know, I'm not. And um, I'm better than I was when I started. But, you know, there was a time when, you know, people's revolution was, I don't know, it was early days. It was doing a couple million dollars a year. And we would go to uh, our meeting with our business managers who were white straight men that we hired to make sure that we weren't going to make mistakes as girls. And they like totally fucked us over. But anyway, back in the day, like when we were first there, I couldn't even read like a PL, like an APAR. I didn't know what it meant. And so I'd be in this meeting as the founder of a company that was making $2 million a year in my 30s. And I would be like, excuse me, what is this 30, 60, 90 thing? Right. And like I had a business partner who's a woman named Jennifer Gross Koenig, and she could understand that where she came from. She had a marketing background. She had worked in-house corporate and she'd get really frustrated with me. And she'd be like, duh, it's like how much money we owe accounts payable. That's what yeah. we owe AP accounts receivable is who owes us. And then the 30, 60, 90 is how long we've either owed those people money or they've owed us money. Like, what don't you understand? But that like took me with my mind, like nine months to really be able to understand, look at that chart, not be afraid of it, learn how to ask questions about it. And, you know, that type of stuff, like HR, like getting a lawyer, which you are a lawyer and you know the importance of this, like employee agreements, really understanding especially now, you know, I mean, for me, I don't like to carry staff anymore. I'm not into it. Yeah. No, no, I understand that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't like to carry big overhead anymore. And I don't like to carry a lot of staff. I like to 1099 people and use outside vendors and do it on a project basis. Yeah. It's much easier. It's much clearer. It's much cleaner and it's definitely more affordable and it definitely decreases issues, you know, from a labor perspective. So for example, most people think, oh, you pay somebody a salary of $100,000 a year and that that's okay that they can work 65 hours a week. Well, guess what? Wrong. Uh-uh. <laughs> and most right. people don't know that. They pay in salary because they think they're going to get those extra hours. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then the employee also doesn't necessarily know that, but some of them do. And yeah. they're just sitting there waiting for you to do them. And now all of a sudden you own time and a half plus legal fees, right? Yeah. And you're headed to court. Right. So all of that stuff, that is the real part of owning a business to me. The rest is the fun. I mean, not fun all the time. Right, right. But that's the ugly little stuff in the corner that if there isn't complete and utter clarity, understanding, knowledge, and precision in a metronome, very ordered, regular way on that back end, it's going to become imbalanced. Yeah. And it's yeah. going to bite you in the ass. And I have been bitten so many times because the only way I know this stuff is because I've made so many mistakes around it. 
I mean, thank you so much for sharing that because that, of course, is like not what everybody wants to say. You know what I mean? And that's just it. It's like I've had I've seen emails, you know, when I've been on like a Hey Mama or something where people like, does anybody have a form for a co-founder? It's like, no, 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 no. You're getting married. This is not a form you fill out. You guys have to have somebody negotiating this. You know, people are like, oh, I don't you know, I don't um, I don't have any money. I'll just hire interns. no. No, guess what? That's against the law too. Yes, you have to pay people. You have to pay people. And you want to know what? Most of them should be paying you. So that's my problem, right? Because it's like, I actually should charge people. Like I did want to look into that, you know, because I think it's a genius idea, right? Like, okay, I've written these books. I've gone, like, let's say I said I was a Sherpa. I've been to the top of that mountain. I've busted a lot of major brands over my career. Not one or two like a lot, a lot more than most people in my field. And so I was like, I should make it a school. I should make it an immersive experience because my daughter goes to Parsons and I think it's a great school, but she comes home and she goes, mommy, everybody we're studying, like I either grew up with or like was at our house for Christmas. Yeah, It's like, you know, we should be getting paid. Like we shouldn't, you know what I'm saying? Like people should pay us to come and be, and work with us. And I know that sounds like an arrogant thing to say, but let's just be honest. They're paying $70,000 a year to go to schools all over the world that are selling uh, law or fashion, right? And the people that are teaching them have never even produced one fashion show. And if they did, it was 20 years ago. Yeah. No, it's true. Look, you can. I highly support the Kelly Catron School of YZ, including all the things you learned to do and all the things you learned not to do, which is just as important. And I feel like, yeah, that is something that women also do quite a bit is that like, if we don't know it, we're like, I don't want to learn it. Ah, it's icky. Business is icky. You know, all those like details are icky because a lot of women who start businesses are creatives in general. And it's paralyzing. The business side of things is paralyzing when you're creative. And I completely understand that. And you're lucky to have had a partner that like did understand that stuff. Yeah, but I, I didn't have her for a long time because that relationship ended in 2001. So I've been solo like the last 23 years on that. And, you know, especially when I was on TV and writing the books, like I did not have my back end sorted out. Yeah. It was there. I trusted everybody. Like, why wouldn't I trust them? They're taking 5% of my income. And, you know, I didn't know anything. And then one day I found out a whole lot of shit that was going on in my business from that back end. And there is no reason except that it was my fault that it happened because I was not engaging in checks and balances. Why? Nobody ever told me, hey, you need to engage in checks and balances. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. This is what checks and balances look like. Two, I wasn't asking any questions because I was in, I mean, I don't know if you want to call it workaholism, but I definitely was not. I was on two TV shows, writing a book and raising as a single mother and running a multimillion dollar company in three cities, Paris, New York, and LA. I was not you know, playing with a full deck. You can't be playing with a full deck when you have the, I mean, some people can, but while you're also learning, you know, cause there's a lot of learning curves. So I made some mistakes there, you know, and I'm still paying for them. Right. And, um, you know, things like taxes and estimated taxes and long-term business accounts, investments versus having, you know, a checking account like real estate versus rent you know, like I spent about $4 million in rent in 12 years at People's Revolution in a building that cost 1.9 million. 
Right. Uh, how did I not know how to figure that out? So these are the things that like, I think for everybody, but especially for me, and I know you have this in common, like I come from the middle of nowhere. Like my parents barely graduated high school. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was the first person in my family to go to college. So it's not like we have a family office. No one's like, well, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Your P&Ls are shit. Like we're going to infuse you with a bridge loan. My bridge loan was the mafia. Yeah. You know who gave me money? The fucking mafia. No bank ever loaned people's revolution money at the beginning. We didn't have any collateral. Right. So, well, I mean, now knowing this now, I mean, how have you changed things? How are you... I mean, for me, it's like, it's an ongoing process, but part of how we change things in the bigger picture, like for me, like I've remediated it, you know, I've taken my inability and unwillingness and my true lack of intelligence in this area. I'm very eclipsed in this area. And people think it's like, I'm a pool shark. Like I'm joking because I seem very um, clear and I can talk and I'm confident. And it's like, how could she not understand this? But it's just something I'm not good at. Right. You know? So what the average person might be able to do in 10 minutes on something like this is probably going to take me an hour, right? if not two. And when I say that, people think I'm tricking them because I'm so quick in other ways, but I'm just not quick in this way. So like if it were a kickball team, I would never pick me to be on that team for that action. You yeah. know, I just don't work like that. It's just not how my brain is. So, you know, now it's like really understanding that that's not enough. If it takes you an hour and a half, then you're still going to have to do it Yeah, because you can't avoid it, you know, because in order to fix it, you have to know what the hell you're doing. Yeah. And you can't just rely on other people. You have to know enough about it to understand it. I mean, you know, in the music industry and working with talent and clients, I would say all the time, it's like, do you think Madonna made any decision without understanding exactly what it was, regardless of if it came to her, like, easily or not like you know what i mean like understanding the business side of things like you have to understand enough of it to make the decision so you don't have to be the expert you should hire people around you absolutely but you still have to know enough to know what to tell them yes or no you know when they're asking you a question and know what that means and then have that um whole you know circle and tribe of people around you that you can use that are they're not your team they're other people that you can bounce ideas off of that do other things you know right because I know that's what Jay would do all the time. You know, I know that he had other business people that he would talk to to make sure that his team is making the right decision and keeping us, you know, quote unquote honest. I mean, you need to do that. You need to do that to protect yourself and you can't feel stupid about it because that's another thing. It's like, oh, I don't want to let anybody know. I don't know because then they might think I can't do anything. Right. 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 That is so true. That's a hundred percent true. And so um, it's really appreciative that like you are here sharing this information because as much as people want to know what you do and how to get it right, you need to understand the things that have not worked. So you don't feel alone in that. There's no point in doing and having any wins, right? Would you go out and like pour water into a jar with no bottom? Right. Wouldn't you? You'd be like, "Hey, happy picnic here!" Oh. <laughs> so if you don't have that back end, that's all you're doing. You're taking all this creativity and all this vision, and you're pouring it in something, and there's nothing there to catch it. Not only is there nothing there to catch it, there's nothing there to store it, and there's nothing there to keep it preserved so it can do right by you. So you're just right. spilling, and that is 
that is what happens to people that have like, let's say a lot of energy and entrepreneurs as a rule. I mean, I personally, as an entrepreneur, I have met a lot of great, great, great entrepreneurs, people like Jeffrey Hollander and Walt Breeze and like Serena Reese, who we're going to meet later today, who did Ajahn Provocateur. They have one thing in common. They don't give a fuck, right? More than one thing. They don't give a fuck. They don't really read algorithms or R&D. They don't care about research and development or, you know, you know what's really it's instinctual. And they have an unlimited amount of energy. Yeah. Right? They're like beasts. Like they can go, it's like where the wild things are. They can go like all night and they can run that ball all the way down the field. What happens is, is that you're spilling CO2, right? And that CO2 in this case is the back end. Right. So if people are watching this and they feel like, hey, I'm kind of like her, like I'm that person. My message is like, okay, great. Good luck. Have fun. And <laughs> like, you know, good luck. But also, please, please, please get a lawyer, you know, understand what your rights are as an employer, understand what your employees rights are. And don't think because they believe in you or that they're all great, that they're your friends. They're not. Your employees are not your friends. Okay, they're your employees. And it's not about being besties and it's not about anything, because the minute that you miss a payroll or the minute that (laughs) you work them time and a half, if that's on their mind, guess what? They want to be paid. Yeah. Okay? And they're going to call a lawyer. Yeah. Right. And then they're going to sue you. Right. So you might as well get real. It doesn't mean you can't be close with people that work for you. You know, I've been beyond close. You know, I had an assistant who left a year ago, Simone. We were together eight years. I miss her every day. It's like a divorce. Yeah. yeah. You know, but at the end of the day, do not be fooled because, you know, most employees think, oh my God, I'm going to get fired. And most employers think, oh my God, they're never going to stay. The employer wants you to stay. That's the whole point of having yeah. an employer. They yeah. want you to stay. But meanwhile, most people sit at their desk thinking they're going to get fired. Right. That's so true. It's so crazy. Because the thing is, once somebody hires you, they, they no, want they you. want it. They've invested a lot. It takes a lot of time and energy and investment, you know, to and find money. the right people. And then you want to make it work. And, you know, so it's like that relationship can be very difficult. Yeah. Especially now where people are like overworked and, and they want to have purpose in their life. Are they, are they really overworked? I don't think. Well, I, I know. Like I know we bad. were. I know I was. For well, sure. We are overworked. Yeah. We have left staff, but we're choosing that. You yeah, know, I'd rather work an extra three hours and hear somebody that I'm paying $150,000 a year to. I don't want to hear about their problems anymore. I don't care. You know, it's like, I know I don't, it's just like, I'm not a therapist, you know, I'm a, I mean, I know that's a mean thing to say, but it, I mean, it. it's like, I just would rather have less staff and yeah, the same output and work a little more right now. So is this the, um, it's a way, you know, I know we don't have a ton of time left, but I do want to understand like, you know, because a lot of people, when they're building their companies, they feel like they need to build their brand, their personal brand, their personal brand. Like, mm-hmm. what made you decide to do the media and the books, like the TV shows and the books, knowing that okay. you already I had a company? Well, the thing is, is that I didn't decide. I got a phone call from Lisa Love, who was a West Coast editor at Vogue magazine, and she was on this TV show called The Hills. I didn't know what it was. I don't watch TV. That's the truth. I mean, if you come to my house right here, right now, I have a TV from Walmart that cost $149 that I bought like six years ago on like dorm days. Okay. Like, like I don't really watch TV. So I heard about the show and the kids in my office were like, oh, it's a big show. It was like the number one rated show in the history of cable. And I thought, and she said, hey, Vogue's going to leave. And we recommended that People's Revolution replace us on the show. 
And what do you think about it? I'd like to introduce you to Adam the Davila, who now does a Sunset, uh, the real estate show. What is it called? Yeah. Sun, uh, selling Sunset. Sure. I don't watch the... Yeah, selling Sunset. Yeah. So um, I said, uh, okay, sure. This sounds good. Because I thought, hey, this would be great. Like, I could put Jeremy Scott, like, as for like, Mara Hoffman, like, my clients at the time on the show, like, Pat Fields. Okay. And they were like, hey, do you want to do the show? And I was like, yeah, I did it for free. I thought, wow, like, I'm coming... <laughs> to the table with an insane distribution network called Viacom yeah. <laughs> this is and Fremantle. And this shows on 184 countries and like they're selling advertising out at like $385,000 for 10 seconds. Like imagine if I could get my clients for a minute on the show, the value that the agency would bring. And so I said, sure. And I did it for free for the first season. And then I realized like I hadn't really ever done any press on myself. Like I was like the go-to badass girl in New York at the time. Like, yeah. and, like for fashion week, they'd be like, Oh, get her. Cause she always says fucking crazy shit. And like, yeah. she's cool. And she wears no makeup and she's scary. She's like Cruella. Yeah. And so like, I was already kind of peaking, but more within the industry and then through the media. When this happened, uh, it was, it was a whole thing. Like, cause I was very polarizing. So half the audience was like loving me and the other half were like totally hating me. And the haters thought that like they were going to get me fired, but actually they just helped me make so much more money. Right. <laughs> right. So when I realized that TV gold, the definition of TV gold is somebody who has a, a huge, a nice following and also the antagonists who really don't like you. Yeah. Um, that's where you can really like command big dollar as a cast member. And so as everything started to move along, you know, I was able to make a tremendous amount of money, like millions of dollars as a result of being on that show. And that was really cool. Um, I also, it worked against me too. Cause then people were like, Oh, look at her. She's such a self promoter. You know, she only really walks on the backs of her clients. That's her ladder to her own success. Like, you know, all of that. And um, there's a lot of different ways to do PR, but the truth of the matter is, is that, it's about storytelling and it's about communicating. Right. And so pop culture for me was a great way to talk to young women and to like disenfranchise kids, like gay kids who were growing up with like, you know, Mormon sheriff parents who, you know, were like, I'm gay and I want to move to New York and work in fashion. And they're like, okay, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Like we're going to beat you and you're nothing. And you're going to work as an electrician in Provo, Utah or whatever the fuck, you know? So when I got out there, the thing that was cool was I realized that like me or not, you know, it's very, very rare to see women on TV, right? Who aren't pulling out each other's hair extensions and blackout drunk and doing crazy shit or in their underwear who are just calling the shots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I knew I was a shot caller, but I didn't really realize that I, at that level, what a shot caller I was. And then I realized that my ability to be a shot caller, it was also stimulating other women and gay kids specifically. That's my market, you know, the LGBTQ and and young women. That was like a thing to them, you know, and I opened this curtain that was being held like super iron, like by Anna. But, you know, to her credit, she also opened it because she put Teen Vogue on that. Like she knew what was up and she wasn't yeah. really in a position to do it because, you know, you saw what happened like 
from the time Teen Vogue, because she started Teen Vogue because she knew that, right? So they were firing everybody else at Condé Nast and those publication, Men's Vogue, everything. But Teen Vogue was able to stay because she knew that was her Victoria's Secret pink, right? That was her DKNY. That was her feeder market. Like, get them when they're 12. Right, right, right. right. And keep them till they're 60. So the whole thing with with the TV and all of that, I think it really allowed a lot of kids to go like, oh, I want to be in PR. I want to be in fashion. They didn't know how to get into fashion before that. Yeah. They really did because they they weren't rich. Fashion was a rich kid's game. You yeah, like, true. Florist, yeah. You know, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm in a gallery. I'm, I'm a fashion editor. Yeah. You know, it wasn't until the hills that all of a sudden, like people in the middle of Wisconsin were like, oh, I want to go there. Yeah. Which is because when I was 13 or whatever, MTV came on air and that's what changed my life. And so it was really weird because I saw MTV when I was like 13. Joe Morris was our cable guy. He played for the Buffalo Bills or whatever. And he brought MTV to my house, you know, and video killed the radio star. And yeah, I saw MTV and I was like, that's where I want to live. I want to live in MTV. And I moved to New York as a nurse and I wanted to be an MTV VJ. Right. Which was crazy because like God heard my prayer, but I just wasn't supposed to be as a publicist on the hills, but whatever. I still ended up on MTV. And, you know, that was a good thing, like I said, for me, but I think it was really good. I meet so many young people that are like, wow, you know, you changed my life. I saw you on TV and I was like, that's what I want to do. Now I'm here. And now I'm like the head of, I just met a girl the other day. She works for, you know, WGSN. She's like, you know what? I saw you on TV, blah, blah, blah. Like some of my interns now, like they run Chanel, Tracy Romulus, like she's, running game with Kim Kardashian. Like she's all about the beauty brand there. Yeah. She was working at Vivian Westwood for $10 an hour as a retail clerk. Her mom was a Vietnamese refugee. Amazing. No. And now look at her. Yeah. Super important for women to see, like, if you can see it, you can be it, you know? And so it's like, so did something for you in building a brand somewhat, but more so, you know, Allowing I think others I took to a see. lot of hits for being on TV because people thought I wasn't taking my profession seriously, but they're wrong. I mean, PR is not something that should be, um, it shouldn't have lanes. You know, people have to, there are very somber PR yeah. people. There are all different types of PR people. But um, I think that if you want to be a game changer, you got to change the game. And it's not easy. People who change the game are, they're treated badly. Yeah, that's so true. Because you're not doing it like everybody else, right? Stay in your lane, little girl. Stop it. Yeah. Oh, my God. Amazing. Such good advice and so much to call from for here. Um, I know you got to get going. I only have uh, one more question, which I ask everybody, and that is, what is the worst advice you've ever received? The worst advice I've ever received? You know, don't rock the boat. Well, yeah, right. Basically everything that you did, you did the exact <laughs> everything. I think like, you know, also I think that just one thing that I would like to say is that if we could get women to redefine what it means to be feminine, because people don't really talk about, yeah. they think feminine means skinny, pretty and agreeable and sweet. Yeah. Um, but if we look in nature, who's the most dangerous in the forest? It's a mom. Yeah. Right. Mother. So so we need to understand that, yes, you can be sweet. And if you want to be thin, you can be thin. If, you know, whatever size you want to be, that's cool. You have the right to control your own body, hopefully in every level, in every way. But like, you have the right to be fierce. You have the right to be forward. You have the right to be a disruptor. You have the right to speak up. You have the right to not agree. 
and, you know, honing your own voice, because I know like even in fashion, like for years at the beginning, you know, I'd be in meetings and people would be like, oh yes, that's so great. And I'd be thinking to myself, this is shit. Like, this is like pink mink gauchos are like summer, like shit. But, you know, it took a minute for me to trust my voice, you know, get that voice, find a way that you can insert it into the dialogue because at the beginning there was the word, right? That's what they say. So words create realities and, you know, your voice is your reality. And so use it and find a way to use it and to speak up. Cause I think as women, you know, we're taught not, not to rock the boat and not to ask. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's crazy. Like, even if like I take my team out, like, and it's a hot summer day and like we go into a hotel and the girl, the woman's like, hi, you know, can I get anybody, anything to drink? Most of the women will go, no, that's okay. I'm fine. The guys will go, yeah, do you have a beer? Or like, yeah, no, yeah. Like, cola. And then I'd be like, are you sure you don't want anything? No, it's okay. And then I'll be like, I bet you do. Like, do you want something? And then yeah. like, okay, I'll have, and it's like three times just yeah. for somebody to think enough of themselves to order a beverage. Yeah. No, we come about it honestly too. Having twins, boy, girl twins. It's crazy how my right. son will be like, I want all this stuff. And he'll be like, oh, I don't know. You know, I don't know. if it And so finally I've encouraged her enough that last night we have Taco Tuesday and Tuesday is my, you know, chosen family here. And, um, and she was putting together a Christmas list and she's like, well, who's coming tonight? And I told her everybody and she made individual things for everybody of her Christmas list of what she wanted. That's good. I'll send them something. I love buying kids presents. And I get to buy Kelly Osborne had a baby two days ago. So I'm about to go buy her little boy a new, I don't know, baby something from a baby something but yeah we come about it honestly and you know i think even in acknowledging that and then going okay this is not we're fine let's use our voice let's use our instinct it's it's for something and you're right especially moms in the forest like i don't recommend raising independent young women i did and now she lives in la it's horrible I I recommend raising codependent, like stuck at the hip, especially when you're single moms like us. That was the biggest mistake, man. That I ever well, that's another. I know story. you're joking. Independent young women. <laughs> that's definitely Kelly Catrone joking. Thank you, Kelly, so much for coming. If people want to find you, how do they find you? Mm, meditation it's good. I love it <laughs> alright everyone until next time thank you for listening to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business bye